Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Well, let's get in the Word of God together, shall we? We're in the book of Ruth. We're in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, and we're closing it out, verses 13 to 22. I want to remind you that as you listen here, listen with believing, mix it with faith and obedience, but I want to remind you that you're listening so as to bless your sisters or your brothers around the table in just a few moments. By the way, gentlemen, if if you've not been involved with a small group before this night, you're going to follow Mike and Scott and Tolly and Ben and I to the final room there at the end of the hallway after our time together. Now, hopefully you're there in Ruth chapter 4 already, verses 13 to 22. I want to start out with, with a word here. If the world hates a thing, it's most likely God loves that thing. That's where we're growing increasingly in the world. And if God loves a thing, it's most likely that the world hates it. Now something that's going to be elevated here is is marriage. God loves marriage. Satan And the world hates it. Satan seeks to turn God's world upside down. While God's word is flipping sinners right side up. And praise God that this room is filled with such redeemed sinners. And that's the redemptive power at work in Boaz and Ruth. Their racism... It's a popular thing to talk about in our world, but their racism has been eradicated. And marriage elevated before our very eyes. Verse 13. So, Boaz took Ruth. Literally took Ruth home in Hebrew. Simple question. Gentlemen, brothers, men. Are you prepared to bring a woman, not into your parents' basement, but into your own home? Perhaps it's an apartment that you're renting, whatever. Are you prepared to bring a woman home? Not to your parents' house, but to your house. What's necessary for you to be ready as soon as possible? We've got a lot of gentlemen thinking, okay, I'm not ready yet. But by ready, they mean I need to get a big, long degree. I need to get a really good paying job. Nope. The Lord could equip you to get married in college and be poor eating top ramen in a little apartment with your little wife. That's fine. That glorifies God. Stop making up these silly ideas that the word of God does not say. Ladies, are you prepared to be taken and to make a home? Where are you unready currently 
as a help to a head of household. Or perhaps maybe you're unwilling to be a helper to and not the head of the house. We see all of that right there. Boaz took Ruth. Ruth didn't take Boaz. Boaz took Ruth and verse 13, she became his wife. Not his girlfriend, not his fiance, not his life partner. Ruth became the wife of Boaz and they were pronounced Mr. and Mrs. Boaz of Bethlehem. Boaz didn't become Ruth's husband, though that's true. Ruth became his wife. The world hates that. The world wants you to hate that. God loves it. One man, one woman, holy matrimony. Now, notice they didn't get cute and vow to forever with one another. They vowed to be husband and wife. They got married. The enemy is going to first trivialize marriage in order to trash it. Okay, guys, listen. Stop going on social media and like picking up these trends for what you imagine your, your marriage to be. Those trends are going to vanish in like a year. Okay? Stick with the timeless, God-ordained truth. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 19. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Listen, I will not have it. That you guys get married, grow on, get divorced, and say, well, we weren't taught any better when we were young adults at Trinity Community Church years ago. We've said it. We've told you the, the word of God. If you go make stupid decisions, that's on you. But you've been taught the word of God. You've been taught it plainly. We're not trying to butter up anything here. We're trying to help you, love you, and to promote healthy, godly lifestyles in this wicked generation. So that you shine as lights. And so a lost, dying world says, you clearly have something that we don't have. Tell you what, a godly marriage is one of the finest apologetics for the Christian faith. What did Jesus mean, by the way? He means that polygamy hasn't always been sin. That divorce hasn't always been sin. Homosexuality has always been will always be sin. Transsexuality has always, will always be sin. Now you might be thinking, good grief. You're just hopping on a hobby horse here? No. No. All of those sins, each and every one of those sins, that same Jesus loves to forgive and to save us from those things. 1 Corinthians 6 11, if you've forgotten it already, and such were some of you, Paul says, to Christians. Such were 
some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What ensued after Boaz married Ruth? Verse 13, we're all grown-ups here. And he went into her. When? After they were married. I'll let that preach for itself, folks. That's not an activity that belongs anywhere outside the marriage bed between one man and one woman. And if you've not yet, if you've not waited for that, start waiting for that. Knock it off. Do not profane the name of Christ by living in sexual sin, whether it's on a screen or whether it's in your room. Do not profess Christ and live in sexual sin. This is the will of God for you your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the word of God. And Boaz has given Ruth his word that he would marry her last night in the context here. Last night, I'm going to marry you. We could speak of them as being engaged. Uh, They were engaged, so to speak. They don't lay a finger on each other. Notice that. Do not allow exceptions on the silly pretense that God knows our hearts. We're going to get married. We're in love. God knows our hearts. You married? Then it doesn't matter what your heart's saying. Your heart's deceptive. It's deceitful above all things. And it'll get you into a world of hurt if you follow your heart. Sorry, Walt Disney. Not sorry. God's word is explicit on this. Look at the blessing that comes from obeying God's word. Verse 13. Yahweh granted her conception and she gave birth to a son. Notice this. Pregnancies are never accidents. Pregnancies are always granted by God. Pregnancies are not human choices. None of them are human choices. All pregnancies are are given by God. It is always God who gives conception, all for his glory. Therefore, abortion is always the arrogant act of slaying God's glory in the womb. Always. 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 And some of you in this room either may have had an abortion or may have encouraged a girlfriend to have an abortion and there is grace for you just like for all of us. You repent, you trust Christ, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. You're no different than any other person in this room saved by His grace. Wonderful is He who blots out our sins and remembers them no more. Parting them from us as far as the east is from the west, plunging our sins deeper than the lowest fathoms of the sea. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you got caught up on a little word there in the previous verse. You're thinking, how old-fashioned to assign the baby's gender at birth? 
that they, she conceived and gave birth to a son. How dare they call this child a son? They, they didn't let him choose his own gender. I mean, they didn't wait to have the gender reveal party. Yeah, God only makes two types of humans, male and female. Before we can walk, before we can talk, before we can express ourselves, it is very clear there is male and there is female. A thousand years from now, they'll be digging up our remains. They'll be digging up our skeletons. Well, hopefully Jesus will have returned by that time and raised our bodies. But a hundred years from now, well, hopefully he's returned by then too. But a hundred years from now, they could dig up our bones and they are only going to discover two genders, folks. You were either a man or you were, in fact, a woman. Now, born in Adam... All of us are completely messed up. There's no doubt about that. We all have proclivities to sin. Some are more aggressive. Others more passive. Some are more feminine. Others more masculine. Fearfully and wonderfully we are made. And yet, for the time being, God is only making us with the fallen genetics that we've received from our first parents who defied God and plunged our race into depravity. Now, it is, hear me clearly, it is normal to feel unhappy about our fallen bodies. I want you to think about that. Excuse my whiskers. It is normal to feel unhappy about our fallen bodies. I don't think there's a person in this room who's totally pleased with their body. It shows up in a million different ways. Body image issues, aging, and yes, even gender dysphoria. These are all aspects of a fallen body. But you are not a mistake. God makes no mistakes and God has promised to give us a glorified body with which to reign with Christ for eternity. And so perhaps you feel some unhappiness with your gender or unsettled in your body. Praise God that the gospel promise is a new body that matches your redeemed spirit. If you have friends Listen, you have friends that struggle with this. Do you understand that your gospel, your gospel for which you should not be ashamed, speaks to body image issues, speaks to the hope of a body that agrees with our spirit? That We long for that. You've got a gospel that preaches right to this whole trans issue. And yet you're ashamed of the gospel? They're, they're suffering. They're dying, they're confused, they're miserable. You've got the gospel for their body and you're not telling them? I don't say that to shame you, I say that to embolden you. We've got the gospel. Now the entirety of this book has covered a two-month period. Over ten years, if you include Naomi and Ruth's backstory. But right here, in one verse, the author captures over nine months just like that. He just fast forwards their marriage, their pregnancy, the birth of a son. He fast forwards the happy ever after verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, 
Blessed is Yahweh, who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer today. Boaz has prayed for Ruth and Naomi before he had a clue that they would become his wife and his mother-in-law. And now God rewards Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi and he answers the prayer of Boaz beyond all that they could have imagined. I mean, I want you guys to think about this. Blessed be Yahweh. Praise to God. All credit to God. All glory to God. Yahweh, the the, the living and self-existent God, needs no help in this. Boaz needed to help him, not at all. Ruth had to help him, not at all. Yahweh, the great I am, gets all the credit for everything in this book, for everything in history, for everything in our lives. Yahweh touched Ruth's heart. Yahweh led her to Boaz. Yahweh brought them together. Yahweh set the events. He gave them a child. He made it a boy. He's doing a great job with Boaz and Ruth. He's doing a great job with us. He's he's doing a great job with you. You know, Stan said something that's been haunting me since our last leaders meeting, I don't know, a couple weeks ago now. I had said that I am often disappointed with myself. Sometimes I'm disappointed with people. I'm always disappointed with myself. And Stan, in his gentle, wise, godly way, said, I'm not so sure that we have the right to be critical of someone else's work. What do you mean by that? He said, well, Sam, you are not your own work. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so for you to be disappointed with yourself is for you to be critical of God's masterpiece. You don't have the right to be critical of his work. Can you imagine if I walked in and started criticizing Michelangelo's sculptures or Raphael's paintings? What would you say? Like, who are you? This is God's handiwork. That's been ministering to my heart, brother. I've been sharing it with literally everyone. I'm starting to double up. I'm starting to tell the same people the same thing. And they're like, yeah, you told me that already. Well, start believing it and I won't have to tell it to you anymore. My goodness. Naomi has wanted to change her name to Mara. Bitter. I'm bitter. That's how some Christians can get. You can love the Lord. You can believe that he's sovereign, but it's your belief in his sovereignty that can ultimately begin to make you bitter. Because you don't like what he's doing with his sovereignty. And so you're beginning to distrust his heart. That's where Naomi was. I'm bitter. God is clearly against me and not for me. But God will allow no such thing in his people. He's making her life sweet. He's showing her that these bitter moments were just bring The bitter bud was giving rise to the sweet blossom. Just be patient. Wait on me. Wait on me. I withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. The very women who mourned with Naomi, insisting that they call her Mara, Now bring her, the newborn baby, from his home to rejoice with her. This is a scene. This book is coming full circle. 
they, they, they were there huddled around Naomi and she said, God's against me. I lost my husband. I lost my boys. I lost one of my daughters-in-law. Now it's just me and Ruth and we're, we're poor. We're destitute. We're childless. And they just wept with her. They just mourned with her. And now they're like bringing this baby like Simba and the Lion King and they're hoisting this child. What do they say? Verses 14 to 15. May his name be proclaimed in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of your soul and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Wait a second. You're not paying attention. Because you should be asking, isn't Boaz the kinsman redeemer in this story? Who did they just say is Naomi's kinsman redeemer now? This little baby boy. You remember what all of this is amounting to? You remember Leverite marriage? This boy has been born to bless. He's the heir, not of Boaz, but of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. He is now the guarantor of her land, the guarantor of her inheritance. Ruth now belongs to Boaz, but this baby born to Boaz and Ruth belongs not to them but to Naomi by Ruth and Boaz decision by design. This baby boy belongs to Naomi. He is God's soul refreshing provision for Naomi. He's God's promise to care for Naomi beyond death. Ruth has not given birth to the heir of her husband, but to the heir of her mother-in-law. So therefore she is better than seven sons. The ideal number of sons could not outvalue this one daughter-in-law. Ruth still called Naomi's daughter-in-law, but this baby is Naomi's heir. All of this because God led a little Moabite Tess to repent and love Naomi. How unusual to have a daughter-in-law who really loves her mother-in-law. How far more unusual for a daughter-in-law to say, my firstborn son is not going to be my son. I love my mother-in-law so much, I'm going to give him to her as her heir. This is shocking. The elders had wished Boaz great fame for the future in Bethlehem. But the women now wish even greater fame for Boaz's son, surpassing his fame in Bethlehem to the entire nation of Israel. National fame. Forgot to put my belt on this morning, so I've been pulling, pulling my pants up all day. It's annoying. I've got like my phone and the, the, the microphone thing in my pants, so they're like falling. I'm just going to have to like hold them here. Maybe get zip tie or something. Boaz could at any moment now die unexpectedly, and Naomi would not be put to shame. She has an heir. 
She has a kinsman redeemer, this little crying baby. What extraordinary love God gives his people that Ruth loves her mother-in-law so much she'd give up her own son. Does that sound familiar? Romans 8.32, he who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Little does Ruth know that her great, 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 great grandson will be the capital S son that the God, the father has given over to the world to die for the sins of the world, to die for her sins. And here she is, just this little faint portrait of the greater truth to come. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child, put him on her bosom, and became his nurse. Why? She's his mom now. Not Ruth. Naomi's his mom. It means what it says. Naomi became the child's mother. He's her son. Some think, I'm persuaded, some think that God miraculously caused this grandma to actually breastfeed her son and heir. By the way, it is scientifically proven that women who have never been pregnant or have ever given birth have been able to breastfeed their adopted babies. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Naomi has gone from empty, says I'm empty. Now she's literally, even physically, overflowing. It's incredible. It's a miracle. Verse 17. The neighbor women gave him a name. How often do you hear about that happening in scripture? Uh, Let's try never. This is the only time that the community comes together. The community has such a resounding response to God's goodness in the life of this poor woman who's loved the Lord and is convinced that God's for. The community has such a visceral response, such joy for Naomi that they come together and they name this baby saying, no, 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 Naomi, you don't get to name this baby. We're naming this baby for you. You're bad at naming things. You wanted to call yourself bitter. Okay. We're not going to let you name yourself. We're not going to let you name this baby. You're really bad at that. We're doing it this time. A son has been born to Naomi, to Naomi. The son is Naomi's, not Ruth's. She's childless. She's destitute. No, she's not. She has a kinsman redeemer. She has a child. This child's going to be the ancestor of the king of all kings. This miracle provokes her friends to name the boy. I'm sure she's just, she's just giddy. She's, she's glowing. She's, she's just, just raptured in the moment. And her friends are just gobbling her up. And they're like, we're choosing the name. And she's like, do whatever. I'm just so happy. Whatever. Pick the name. So they named him Obed. Boaz didn't name the boy. Ruth didn't name the boy. Ruth didn't nurse him. Naomi nursed him. The only time that people other than the biological parents name child. Not even Mama Naomi names the child. The power of this. The power and the contrast from chapter 1 to chapter 4 is striking. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And now they shower her in response. Don't tell us what to call you. 
the boy, that boy is God's guardian for you, Nene. Okay, they're, they're speaking to their little girlfriend here. And it's so unanimous among their friends. It's so happy among their friends that the name Obed sticks. He's Obed. They're just shouting, Obed, Obed. Now, it doesn't sound too impressive to us, but the word Obed means one who serves. It's likely shorthand for the more common or the more popular name, Obadiah. We have a book of the Bible named after the prophet Obadiah, the servant of Yahweh. By the way, Obed is the name that Isaiah gives the Messiah who's going to come as the suffering Obed, the suffering servant of Yahweh, the suffering Obadiah to save his people from their sin. Jesus is literally in Hebrew the Obadiah, the Obed, the Obadiah, the servant of Yahweh. Verse 17, this Obed, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Could it get any better? I mean, this is just, wow. What a story. Obed is grandfather to the king, the ancestor of Christ, the king who will serve to save his people from their sins, then reign with his redeemed race forever and ever. Christ, the greatest redeemer, the great redeemer, comes from a line of redemption. And so we see that God is king and sovereign over the worst tragedies, the worst sins. We begin with Elimelech, my God is king, dead. And here at the end, we're reminded that even though we thought God, my king, is dead, he's not dead. He's king still. He reigns still. You might be going through a time right now where you feel like the kingship of God is dead in your life. You think that he's forgotten you, or he's ignoring you, or he doesn't care about you, or he's lost his patience with you, or he's just not bothered by you. This book preaches that God is working through all the minute details of your life to do you good. All things must work for your good. Romans 8, we know that they do. And so we close verses 18 to 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, and Hezron became the father of Ram, and Ram became the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab became the father of Nashon, and Nashon became the father of Salma, and Salmon became the father of Boaz, and Boaz became the father of Obed, and Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of David. We've got a genealogy from Perez who was conceived in the sin of his mother who's playing the part of a prostitute and her father-in-law, Judah. And God says, yeah, this is the line I'm going to carve for myself and come about from sinners. And 
Everyone, watch this, 100% of the names, from Perez down to David, 100% of them are sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners such as these, sinners such as Boaz's mother, Rahab, a prostitute, sinners such as Ruth, a Moabite test who worshipped a demon god that demanded child sacrifice, such as David who committed adultery with another man's wife and then murdered him. This is the line from which our Savior came. We were enemies of God, but God himself became a descendant of sinners to die for their sins, theirs and ours. Your sins, mine. So learn from Naomi that God is only for and never, never, never against those for whom he died. Hosanna to the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz and Ruth given to Naomi the widow of Elimelech. My God is king. Father, we ask that now we would sing in faith and wonder and worship and that our hearts would be stirred to converse about these things with faith and with one another in love. Provoke us, Lord, toward love and good deeds together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.